It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk NFL football? Who wants to talk NFL draft? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my partner, John Riley. We welcome you to our bonus Monday podcast as we walk towards the National Football League draft that starts on Thursday. John, we have a lot of topics on the table. The draft, who's hot, who's not, trade rumors, one big NFL trade already, more trades likely to come. Boy, there's a lot to talk about, and this is a big, big event, the National Football League draft on Thursday. Yeah, huge. I mean, this is like a, a national event. This event's gotten bigger and bigger over the years, and there's been all this. We've been talking for months about the trades and these other teams kind of getting in position, so it's all going to start on Thursday. Okay, before we start, introduce to the people with us on live stream about Fans Forum. We want NFL questions today and how they subscribe. Okay, so yeah, if you have NFL questions about the draft, trades, you got some comments or hot takes for Hacksaw, just drop them into the live live chat on either Facebook or on YouTube. We'll see them here. We'll get you on the screen. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. And a reminder, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. Ton of NFL information, plus everything that's going on in baseball, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, you name it, I write about it. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Visit my website. And a reminder, we want you to share every time you sample our content, share it with your friends, introduce to them what we're doing with our bonus podcast on Monday, our draft preview today, and our Thursday regular podcast. And a reminder, on Friday, we're going to do a first round draft recap, yeah. another bonus podcast Here we go. On, on Monday. So we have a lot <laughs> to cover, but we invite you to give us a thumbs up. We invite you to share with all your friends. John? Topic one. What do you want to cover? I mean, topic one is a great one on the on the list here because this is where it all started with what ESPN did to make this like such a primary, a marquee event. Okay, a piece of history. Pete Rozelle was the commissioner of the National Football League. NFL was successful in the 60s, became more successful in the 70s, and they rolled into the 80s after they had unveiled Monday Night Football and they realized how good the product on TV was becoming. And then ESPN out of Bristol, Connecticut, which was running tractor pulls and aerobic <laughs> shows and all that, they had yeah. just started, mm -hmm. went to Pete Rozelle and said, we'd like to televise the NFL draft. And he said, you think people would be interested in your guys just sitting at a table reading names off a list? They said, yeah, we think so. <laughs> Rozelle took it to the ownership and the ownership said no. The ownership said, and they were not visionaries, these were old school guys, said, we don't want this because the agents will hijack the event. Well, Pete Rozelle overruled them and said yes. So the first draft, and I recall this vividly, modern day football fans, <laughs> they think of the draft as the extravaganza we currently have. The first draft was on a Tuesday. It was a one-day televised event only the first round into the start of the second round. They started it on a Tuesday. When the time ran out by 8 o'clock, they exited. They were only in the second round. That was the first one. It had George Grande, 
uh, who became a baseball voice for the Cincinnati Reds. Bob Lee, invested reporter, been there forever. And an old sports writer, Paul Zimmerman from Sports Illustrated. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and those were the three anchor guys. So it started then. Ran on a couple of Tuesdays, and then they moved it. For some reason, they moved it to a Sunday. And it was a one-day event Sunday. All nine rounds. It went on and on and on. And they added people. And then here came Chris Berman. And then somebody came up with the idea, let's have insiders. And here came Chris Mortensen and the late John Clayton. And then they started to position people at different draft headquarters where they would go to a live report. <laughs> yeah. As the Eagles pick was coming up or the Minnesota Vikings missed their first round pick one year. So that was the, the beginning of it. They added Mel Kuyper, the draft yeah, expert. That guy. Yeah. Mel showed up, I think it was in 1984. Slick hair, white shirt, big thick tie, volume of information, reading and reading and reading. And the thing just evolved and evolved. And then from Sunday, Monday, then then it became Saturday, Sunday. Then it became Thursday, first round, Friday, second and third rounds, Saturday, the rest of the draft. Of course, the draft only goes seven rounds now. So, I mean, just to see this thing grow. And Pete Rozelle was a visionary. I mean, Pete Rozelle, uh, the, the legendary Cleveland owner, Art Modell, were the ones that created Monday Night Football uh, with Rune Orledge and Howard Cosell and Dandy Don and mm. Frank Gifford. So this was the second big thing from a media standpoint that really put the NFL front and center. And instead of tractor pulls and aerobic shows and some of the other stuff they were running out of Bristol, this became the first marquee event. And look where it is now. Now they bid it out. It's going to be in Kansas City on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They bid it out every year. Now they're bringing instead of two or three players to, quote, the green room, they're bringing 30 to 50 players to the green room. Nice. And now you got reporters in every draft headquarters there are. And we even had the strange drafts during the COVID period where there was no fan interaction. It was not held at a big theater in downtown New York City in the theater district. It was it was one central control room, and everybody did their draft from their draft room, or in some cases, Bill Belichick did it from his family room with his dog. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury did it from his palatial estate mm-hmm. out near uh, the hotel uh, in, in Phoenix. It's just become a mega event as part of the explosive growth of, of the NFL. But I remember the, when it was on a Tuesday and it was one and a half hours, maybe two hours at most. And I remember his voice of the Chargers. It was a big event. I came here in 1987. And one of the things was the mandate from the ownership at Extra 690 was create a nine hour game day. And we did. And by the way, NFL drafts important. Create something special. So we did a nine-hour radio broadcast from Shaq Murphy Stadium with our Charger broadcast crew. We had four or five guys who were rotated in and out. And Pat Curran was in the Charger war room, and he gave us data, nice. a little inside scoop. <laughs> so, I mean, it really, really became a monstrous 
broadcasting event. So your memory. Yeah, well, going way back, I remember where they all sat in a room together. They all had their NFL helmet phones, you know, where they talked back to headquarters. And it was just like back in the 80s when I was doing rotisserie baseball and a bunch of dudes in a room, you know, picking names. Uh, but it, the way this thing grew and it moved to Radio City Music Hall, and then it always became like a big Jets event, you know, where all the Jets fans were in the, in the stands rooting for them. But yeah, this thing has progressed all, every year. It seems to take a step up. But, you know, Mel Kuyper, man, that guy gets a lot of crap, right? I mean, what's your take on him? Do you think he's uh, one of the better prognosticators? He was the first one that did it. So everybody said, wow, they gravitated towards him. And now now everybody's got mock drafts. Everybody except our black Labrador retriever <laughs> doesn't do mock drafts because known as a soccer fan. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the reality is the thing grew and everybody's got opinions. And now they got all these different draft experts. But, you know, the first time you walk down the road with something creative, People remember it. And I, I remember Mel, and I dealt with Mel when, when Mel was just beginning, and we had him on our talk shows on Extra every year, etc. cetera. Uh, and then they added, added more draft experts as we went along, and then they did the insiders. And I had, I had great relationships with Chris Mortensen and John Clayton, and they'd come on my talk shows and come on the draft show uh, that we were doing live on radio from the stadium. So it just just a really mega, mega event. And it's why the NFL is where the NFL is right now in terms of popularity is they just creatively have grown and grown and grown the the, the projects. You know, and I, I think I referred to you a couple of weeks ago. I interviewed Pete Roselle the first year I was here as a voice of the Chargers. And at that point, they had their three network partners. CBS, ABC, NBC, and ESPN was just starting. And I said, Pete, would would you ever consider putting games on cable? Oh, no. No, no. We have our corporate sponsors. Well, now they're on cable, and now they're on streaming, and now they're on Amazon. And who could have ever thought they wouldn't just play on Sunday, but they'd play on, you know, created Monday Night Football, which was a mega event back in the day. And then they then you know, now they've fast forwarded. They play some games on Saturday at the end of the year. They play on Thursday. There's talk there's going to be a, a a Black Friday game after Thanksgiving that'll be a league game. And by the way, they're expanding. I mean, they're expanding to England and they're going to play games in Germany and in Spain. Uh, they do play one game in Mexico. So it's just fascinating to see the global reach. But that's the history piece uh, of the NFL. Let's move on. Topic number two, because John... We got trades coming, and we got one trade already. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about guys in the green room. We always remember Aaron Rodgers back in the draft way back when, but it looks like the deal finally went down with the Packers and Jets. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets. The reason this took so long is there was an awful lot of conversation about give and take. If you want this draft pick, you've got to give me something else besides the quarterback. Well, if we give you something else with Aaron Rodgers, you got to add something to the pot of gold. And then what complicated it was the dollar value of Aaron Rodgers' contract. He was due a $58 million bonus payment. And that, that meant huge outlay of money, either from Green Bay or the Jets. And it meant that Green Bay was going to take a massive salary cap hit by moving a guy off the roster. So this thing got long and it got drawn out because they went back and forth about the draft picks. And then they had to configure, how do we handle the Rodgers dollar value? What I've been told is, is the deal winds up this way. Aaron Rodgers winds up going with, with the 15th pick in this year's draft and a fifth round pick in this year's draft 
to the New York Jets. So the Jets are getting Green Bay's number one plus the quarterback plus the fifth round pick. As a trade-off, the Packers, they wind up with the Jets pick, which is at 13, so they flip-flop choices. Mm -hmm. They wind up with the 13th pick. They get the second pick this year, second round pick. They get the sixth round pick this year, and they'll get a number one next season as part of the deal. I think the Jets paid an unbelievable price for a 39-year-old quarterback, and Green Bay gets a higher number one now. They get this year's number two. They get a later pick, and they're going to get the Jets number one next year for a 39-year-old quarterback they didn't want. And then to add on, they restructured down, and I don't know if the dollar values have been released yet, they've restructured down the $53 million, I believe, that Rodgers was due in bonus payments. Restructured that down to an extension with the Jets, so he's at least under contract for two years, if not a third year, which means Green Bay takes less of a hit because the contract's restructured down. The Jets inhale the money, but it's spread out over three years rather than $53 million this year against the cap. Mm-hmm. That's why this thing took so long. Very complicated. I think Green Bay made a hell of a deal. The Jets got themselves a quarterback for two years, but the last time they did this, they got Brett Favre, and that did not work out very (laughs) well. So from left field, John, tell me what you think. Well, I mean, it seems like uh, the Jets may have been desperate here because all their other quarterbacks didn't pan out. That kid from uh, BYU wasn't working out. And so... Now they had to make a deal, and I think they probably got their backs up against the wall with the draft coming. They had to give the Packers what they wanted. Well, they did, uh, but they got a, they got a superstar quarterback. This is an MVP, and you know they've upgraded their team. They drafted a really good running back last year in Brees Hall. Uh, played uh, two thirds of the season, then had a bad knee injury, but he'll be back. They've traded for wide receivers. Their offensive line, which was shredded at offensive tackle last year, is all going to be back healthy in OTAs. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. He's going to be there after the draft, at the beginning of the OTAs and the home, all the mini camps, etc. Rather than sitting at home on the West Coast, do I want to play? Do, do I not want to play? Do they love me? Do they love me not? So that's over. I tend to think that was a good deal. So I, I think it's a win for Green Bay in the big picture. I mean, because getting access to a higher number one this year, a two, and next year's number one? Yeah. That's currency, pal. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And and the Jets solved their quarterback issue right now. So they, they went for a 39-year-old quarterback who still got gas left in the tank. And we'll see how he plays going to a brand new team with a brand new offense because it'll be very, very different. Will the Jets be competitive in yes. 2023? Because the Jets have a really good defense. Mm-hmm. And they got I think they got a dynamic coach in Robert Soleil. So I, I I think that's that's a big story. Now the other factor here, there are more trades to come. Uh, we hear uh, that that Arizona is in just in crisis mode. You know the Cardinals fired the general manager. They fired the coach Cliff Kingsbury. Michael Bidwell is under enormous heat right now for toxic workplace environment within the Cardinal infrastructure. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is making a lot of money, has not been the player they thought. He kind of wants out. Buda Baker, their captain and their defensive heart and soul, has publicly asked for a trade this past week. Oh, man. So the burning question is, does Arizona just press the button and blow the whole thing up? They got Kyler Murray, but it does not appear he's going to be back as a starting quarterback coming off knee surgery, at least not at the start of the season. So the Cardinals just are in utter disarray. 
So do they begin a rebuild? Do they trade the top wide receiver? His contract number, I think, is 15 mil. And and do they trade Buda Baker, who for some reason wants out? And he's I think he's got three years left on his contract, but he doesn't like the environment uh, in the Valley of the Sun. So what does Arizona do? So keep an eye on that. That, that trade is still out there. Uh, we got others. Uh, Austin Eckler, Chargers today held their pre-draft press conference, refused to answer any questions about Austin Eckler, his demand to be traded, the request that he be paid like other star running backs in the league, refused to answer any questions. So I think Austin Eckler is stuck there for at least one final year. Uh, We'll see if anything changes as it relates to the draft. And Derrick Henry uh, in Tennessee is on the block. And I, I just found out today his contract number really balloons this year. And this is the reason maybe nobody's traded for him. He was earning six last year, and six is an average salary for a star mm-hmm. running back. His number this year dumps up to 10, 10.6. That's probably why there have been no offers to the Tennessee Titans for Derrick Henry. So those are the hot names on, on the trade rumor board. I do think there'll be a few more dominoes that will fall that might involve players and draft picks. This is a different landscape, John. You know, for decades upon decades, these are my draft picks. I am not trading my draft picks, with the exception of George Allen and the exception of the L.A. Rams. Mm-hmm. People didn't make deals. This new breed of general manager, these guys from Harvard, they're trading picks, and they are trading players' contracts. And I inherited this team. I don't think that guy fits what I want to do. I don't care about the cap hit. I'm moving him off my roster. There were so many trades at the trade deadline last year. I think there were 18 at the NFL trade deadline, which you never, ever saw. So the landscape, National Football League, is is very different. So your reaction to Arizona and what else might happen? Well, isn't it interesting that Arizona didn't really work out? I mean, they had Fitzgerald, they had Kyler Murray, you have DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, we thought that was going to be a good team. And and in some of these previous years, they were they were hot, you know, up through the midpoint of the season, and then they took a dump. I mean, was that all Kingsbury, or yes. what else was going on there? I think it was all Kingsbury, because if you, I went back and I tracked Kingsbury's college coaching record, in addition to what he did with the Arizona Cardinals, his numbers were horrid in November and December. Mm. I think the figure I had was seven wins and 50 losses Whoa. in the last two months of every season that he was a head coach. That there's, there's something bad there that they never, ever solved. He never, ever figured out. And that's why he's out of the NFL after such a short period of time. So fascinating to see where this goes. But Aaron Rodgers goes from Green Bay to the Jets. And Green Bay's got Jordan Love. They have given him the keys to the building. And they will sink or swim with what the ex-Utah State quarterback does. But, you know, he's been a backup for, what, three years now? And they think he's ready. He better be ready because AR is not going to bail him out now. And I'll be I'll be interested. We go to the fans forum. If you're an NFL fan, who do you think got the best of the Green Bay Jets trade? Okay, on we go. You got another topic you want to talk about? Yeah. So I mean, we're talking a little bit about the Cardinals here. I mean, what's going to happen with the, these top draft picks? Are they going to get dealt? I mean, we already saw number one get moved. Carolina has number one, and there's probably a strange draft pick coming with that number one pick. Uh, Houston holds, I think, the keys to the draft. And there's a lot of smoke signals out of Houston. Nobody quite knows whether they're just going to bypass a quarterback and take the Alabama linebacker, Will Johnson, or the defensive end from Texas Tech, Tyree Wilson. 
They love defense. D'Amico Ryan's the new head coach, loves defense. I don't understand how you can bypass one of these two quarterbacks because the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. Yeah. You know, and even if, if you loaded your defense this year and you have another bad season with the mixed bag of quarterbacks they got, Case Keenum or Davis Mills, there's no guarantee that you're going to get access to the number one pick next year. Caleb Williams of USC, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's their thinking is, we can do this. Um, Houston, to me, holds the keys to the draft. They stay at number two. They take a linebacker. Quarterbacks fall. And then that'll start a scramble with what happens at three. Or they take number two, play the prices right, trade out, drop a couple of slots, and still get access to either Will Anderson or the defensive end from Texas Tech. But you can't trade too far down. And you don't want to make the deal without knowing whether somebody else might jump up and take mm-hmm. Will Anderson, uh, who is a legendary linebacker out of, out of Alabama. So what does Houston do at two? Keep it or trade back a couple slots? Arizona has had six trade offers for the number three pick. I think a lot of people are trying to get in position. If, if Houston takes the linebacker at two, that means one of those quarterbacks will be there at three. And all of a sudden, that means Indianapolis. Might mean the Raiders. Could it mean Seattle? Might it mean Atlanta? Mm. And now this latest one is Tennessee at 11. So you got all these people right behind two and three that might be poised to jump in and make a trade with Arizona for the third pick. And if Arizona is going to go into full rebuild mode, they want to stockpile assets. So, yeah, they'll trade from three back a ways. They don't need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But if they got multiples of number ones and they got an additional number two, Maybe that would happen. So that that's the latest right there. There'll be some other maneuvering because there always is guys trade up. Some guys will drop back. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see, though, what Houston does, because the minute they make their decision, stay or deal, then everything else is going to happen. Yeah, that's what makes the draft day so fun, you know, because it's so dynamic. You don't know what's going to happen next with all these trades. But you you had hinted, you know, about Caleb Williams next year. Um, do you ever sense that some NFL teams will tank on purpose? And has the NFL ever considered a lottery in their draft? No, uh, it's never been discussed. Uh, it's pretty hard to tank in the NFL. I mean, either you got a good team, a mediocre team, or a really bad team. And you're not going to take an 8-8 eight and eight team because there's so much money involved with going to the playoffs and a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You're not going to do anything to damage that so you can drop back with the hope because mm-hmm. there's no certainty in the draft that you're going to get the guy that you want. So it's it's very different than what's gone on in the NBA and to a degree what's what's happened in the National Hockey League. So this will be worth watching. What Houston does at number two, because once that domino falls... I think all these others are going to fall, too. Yeah, this is going to make—I'm looking forward to Thursday. We're going to wrap all that up on Friday. It's going to be a great weekend. So let's we want to move on to the big board. On to the big board. Okay, so, I mean, actually, you, you share with all this NFL draft currency, some of these teams are really ready to go. Yeah, they really are. Houston is sitting there with multiple number ones at 2 and 12. If they trade out a 2, that means they're probably going to get maybe another number one, definitely another number two. Seattle is sitting there with two picks. 
you know, at one point there was thoughts that Seattle might go quarterback, but I think Seattle's going to take the massive defensive tackle out of the University of Georgia to rebuild their defense. Uh, Detroit, which has really done a good job under that front office and that coaching staff. Lions are sitting there with two number one picks at 6-18. and 18. Might they be one because Jared Goff's in the final year of his contract. Might they be the one that makes makes a bold move up uh, mm-hmm. because they got extra currency. And the Eagles, coming off their great Super Bowl appearance, they draft at 10, and then they draft again at 30. Overall, the Raiders have the most picks of all, and they need the most picks because they've got one of the worst defenses in the league. Raiders have 12 draft picks total, uh, led by that first-round pick at number 7. Uh, the Rams... Don't have a number a number one. For the seventh year in a row, they don't have a number incredible. one. It is incredible. Uh, but they did get to a Super Bowl, so mm-hmm. they, they paid it. But like, as I told you, when the wife spends on your credit card, <laughs> you do have to pay somewhere down the road. It looks like the Rams are mm-hmm. probably uh, about to pay. The Rams have 11 picks. Uh, we've got to San Francisco by virtue of a lot of comp picks that they got from the league because they lost so many free agents. The 49ers have got 11 Belichick has got 11, and Houston, in addition to the top, those two first-round picks, Houston Texans have 11 too. Uh, San Francisco has done the exact same thing. Belichick in New England has done the exact same thing. So here we are. We've got a lot of teams with a lot of currency. And I know you say, well, John, Lee, it's not sexy. Who cares about fifth, sixth, and seventh-round picks? I understand that, but you can find gems in the draft. And you can also take when you got multiples of picks, and Belichick is the master of this. Mm-hmm. He's got all these fourth and fifth and sixth round picks. He packages them, and then suddenly he's in the third round with an additional pick by having moved some lower round picks, and you can find players. And now the wild card in this whole thing, and I I was told this today, they are they are now talking, the rumor mill says, there could be as many as 16 quarterbacks drafted. And you say, Lee, where, wow. where are these 16? Yeah, I mean, we know about top five, maybe. Mm-hmm. The Brock Purdy factor. Uh-huh. Now suddenly is of the opinion, look what San Francisco found with the last pick in the draft. What was he, 235? Mystery irrelevant. That's right. <laughs> now, now teams are saying, let's do some more investigation of these other quarterbacks that we might take late. Grow them, develop them, and maybe we find a gem. There's a six foot four quarterback from Shepherd State of West Virginia, an NAIA school, Division Two. Really, yeah, threw for like forty five touchdowns this year. Wow! But that's that's a six four kid throwing against real small cornerbacks. And if you run a wild passing system, small college football, done the players to cover it. A Shepherd State type kid is the prime example of why suddenly. People are talking about, well, there's 16 quarterbacks. We might take a look at a bunch of them at the back end. So the Brock Purdy factor kind of weighs uh, into this equation. Reaction. Yeah, th- this is interesting here when you look at the big board. But like teams like the Texans have so many picks. But there's been a lot of examples in the NFL draft of teams just consistently blowing the draft, right? Never picking right. I mean, so when you look at some of these teams, do you think Texas is equipped to, to really do the right thing? Well, D'Amico Ryans, I think, is carrying a lot of clout in this draft. He, of course, is the new head coach from the San Francisco 49ers. Great track record. They've been building towards this. You can't look at it in the standings and say, oh, they've got the success. I've had no success because I've had no quarterback. I mean, if you recall, if we were doing this podcast two years ago today out from left field here— <laughs> You know, they had Deshaun Watson. 
Oh, yeah. They had DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. J.J. Watt. They had the big running back from San Diego who got hurt, but his first two years in the league. Is that Foster? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, there have been teams that decided we're not going to pay these guys anymore. They're getting long in the tooth. We'll move them. We'll stockpile. We'll Mm -hmm. suffer. But somewhere along the way, you got to get a quarterback in the league because it's a quarterback's league. And for for Houston at number two, for them to sit there and maybe bypass on C.J. Stroud, because it looks like Carolina's taking Bryce Young, is that that a good decision? Because there's no guarantee next year you're going to get Caleb Williams from USC, and it's supposed to be a soft year for quarterbacks next year in the draft. I don't know if that answer your question. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, because you look at these teams and a lot of them, yeah, they, they're loaded. I mean, even the Raiders have a lot of picks, right? And the Raiders have been awful for so long, but they've consistently blown a lot of their draft picks. On the defensive side, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been in a lot of trouble. So this is all part of the fascination of this because, you know, some of these um, organizations are so well run. They, they're the teams, they'll, they'll vary from, like the Steelers will go from being mediocre to great. They never seem to be in the bottom half, or if they do, it's like a one-off year. So I'm interested to see if some of these teams are going to be able to kind of flip this system around and see them catapult, you know, from the bottom to the top. And I knew you were going to ask it, so I'll answer it before you do. The worst draft story of our history is what happened with the Peyton Manning-Ryan Leaf draft. Oh, yes. Or should I say the worst controversial piece of draft history in this town was Peyton Manning, I don't want to play for you, so we'll swap you to the Giants for Phillip Rivers, which really turned out to be a win-win. In fact, it was Mm -hmm. more of a win for the Giants because Eli Manning got them to the Super Bowl. Phillip Rivers never quite got there, got to an AFC championship game. Uh, So there is a lot of draft history. Uh, Manning went on to a legendary career. Uh, When he went first to Indianapolis, the Chargers took Ryan Leaf. And I will tell you, the whole world thought, great, because he had a great statistical career at Washington State. Yeah. But they didn't do enough due diligence. Mike Price, the Washington State coach, lied to Bobby Bethard about who this kid was. He was not a student of the game. They won at Washington State and Leaf threw for 4,500, 5,000 yards per year because they were running an offense nobody had ever seen. The five-wide scheme, no backs, and chuck it on every down. And they could, they could dominate because they had a lot of team speed. And Bethard and his people failed to do enough investigative research that Ryan Leaf was not a student of the game. Ryan Leaf was kind of like a bum. Uh, and he came <laughs> yeah, here. kind of. And then he, he got force-fed to go into the lineup. By that time, I was the voice of the Seahawks. And the Chargers came to the kingdom to play Seattle, and Leaf had just been named the starting quarterback. And, you know, the hoopla, Ryan Leaf coming home to the Northwest. He and Craig Wheelahan threw seven interceptions in one game game. against the Seattle defense. And I'm sitting there looking at it, and I looked looked next door, which was the visiting owner's booth, and I, I wondered what Bethard was thinking at that point in time. And, of course, that evolved into the 1-15 team, and everybody got fired, and Leaf got traded. And I will say this about Leaf. I've never seen a human being make as many catastrophic mistakes in his personal life, become the poster boy for failure, and now be on ESPN like he's some media specialist. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just So I guess credit to him for finding something he's good about, telling about his life's failure. I don't know why, understand why everybody gravitates towards 
Oh, Ryan Leaf's on TV. We must watch. Ryan Leaf was a miserable failure. And he finally admitted that he'd made a lot of mistakes and he had a drug addiction problem because of the injuries and he wasn't a student of the game and admitted he was a bum. Uh, (laughs) But he never apologized. He never apologized to San Diego. He never apologized to the Spanos family for, in essence, wrecking the franchise. Because when Mm -hmm. you burn a top number one pick, second choice overall, and the guy does not work out, it's catastrophic to your franchise. It took him forever, you know, from Harbaugh to Flutie to Sean Salisbury. I oh, mean, yeah. everybody but your black Labrador retriever was in the <laughs> camp trying to play quarterback. So that that's a side note to history. Uh, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. I, mean, I think that has to go down as one of the worst draft picks in any sport you know, and and of course it's San Diego, the San Diego sports curse. I think of that all the time. I remember really trying to root for Ryan Leaf. I would give him the benefit of the doubt, but as a fan, you could only go so far with it before you just had enough of him. Um, but the other part of it I'm thinking about is Bobby Bethard. And in the nineties, he was like what the Rams were doing. He was always trading away those number one picks. And I remember the Charger fans used to get so frustrated with that, thinking that Bethard was uh, kind of ruining their future. And what's your take on that? Well, Bobby had a great run in Washington. The, the, the one asterisk you need to put next to Bobby Bethard's name is his ability to go into the small college ranks and find players. He found a lot of players in a lot of places that nobody had scouted. Mm. You know, one of his greatest acquisitions, Hall of Famer Daryl Green, Washington Redskins, unbelievable defensive back. You know, and here in San Diego, you know, Bobby, granted he drafted Junior Seau, but when you have the fifth pick in the draft, you're not going to screw that up very often. He didn't. He got Seau, but he, he also drafted Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison had an unbelievable 10-year run with the Chargers and then got a ring with the New England Patriots. So, but, but he also made a lot of mistakes at the tail end uh, of his era here, made a lot of mistakes and draft picks that just did not work out. It's not a perfect science. No. Because, you know, you can do all the measurables, height, weight, 40 speed, you know, hands, routes, receptions, <laughs> toughness and all that. But you can't do the introspection of heart, and you can't do introspection of, is he a student of the game? Uh, Sometimes the game comes easy for the guys that don't have to work hard to get to the NFL. You really have to work hard. Some guys are slovenly, and it doesn't work out. You know, one of the great tragedies was defensive end Chris Mims out of Tennessee. First-round pick, uh, huge guy big physical guy just got by because he was big and physical never became the pro you really thought he would be he was part of the charger defensive line that went to the super bowl but leslie o'neill really made that defensive line work and then chris mims was out of the league you know soon thereafter and then he died died of a heart attack Mm. because he was slovenly and grossly overweight so there's all kinds of stories and all kinds of angles and for every every great brock purdy austin eckler story there are the human tragedies that are out there of, of guys that people made mistakes on or guys who could not grasp the opportunity to be great. Yeah, it seemed like Bethard was almost addicted to going for those, you know, uh, you know, guys on, you know, behind the radar that no one else saw. But did he draft Vincent Jackson as well? Yes. And that was in what, Northern Colorado, a D2 school. So that was another great find. But, um, yeah, you know, at some point you just got to stock a lot of really high picks so you can get those quality guys. Big argument, but we're going to move on to the next topic. But the big argument is, John, okay, number one picks, they're worth a lot of value. But if I can go get multiples of values by trading the number one to George Allen over the Hill Gang Mm. syndrome, 
the Rams just did that. You know, the Rams have gone seven straight years without a first-round draft pick. Amazing. And now it's all caught up to them. Yeah. And the salary cap's caught up to them. Age and retirement's caught up to them. Injuries has caught up to them. I bet they're going to be the worst team in Los Angeles this year. They're, I bet they're not going to be a playoff team. And one of the intangibles, Sean McVay, he did not tolerate nor handle losing very well last year. What's it going to be like this year? They have 17 veteran players gone from last year's roster. 13 of them were starters, and that includes two kickers. 13 of the top 24 Rams players won't be back. Wow. You know, and he's got no draft picks, and whatever they bring in this year will be all young guys, and they're going to try to speed them up and see if they can play at this level. But I feel bad for Matthew Stafford because he had the knee injury, he had the back injury, and now he's got no players around him. I feel bad for Aaron Donald because now they're going to ha- have to hand out name tags in the defensive huddle. Hi, I'm Aaron Donald, maybe a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, yeah. Ram- Rams are no longer what the Rams used to be. But that's because the Rams kept trading, 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 and they did celebrate. They do have a Super Bowl. I understand that. But in the big picture of things, pan out? What if you can have five crummy years in a row? Well, is it worth it? I mean, if you win a ring, does it make everything else inconsequential? A lot of people think it does. Yeah. And see, I don't necessarily buy that. I, I think if I were an owner of a franchise, I would want to have sustainable excellence, you know, and be, you know, contending team year in and year out. Because if you're on the, the roller coaster, I mean, it's, it's tough to do business that way. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is the blueprint of how to run an organization. Yes. Only three head coaches since the 1970s. Mike Tomlin has rebuilt this thing twice. The pre-Roethlisberger era, the post-Roethlisberger era, has never had a losing season. Why? Because they do draft well. Yeah. And you may not like Jerry Jones. And you may <laughs> think, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, the star and all that mm-hmm. is grossly overrated. But they've drafted well. They don't have... Or not recently, they don't have four and twelve, four and thirteen seasons. Right. So they've done done very well. It's fascinating to study the organizations and what they've done. And the other end of the spectrum, your Detroit Lions have not been very good for a long time. Oh. These Chicago Bears have been way down for an extended period of time. And the big history of the Chicago Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, Phoenix Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, outside of the the one rush year they had with Bruce Arians and those guys, they haven't been a good organization either. So it goes top to bottom. Yeah, it does. Well, the Lions are on the come, right? Yes. The Lions look like a fun and exciting team, so that's a one to root for. Next question before we go. Explain Fans Forum, because we're looking for NFL fans to join us right at the end. So how can they message us to be on the Fans Forum right at the end of our Monday bonus podcast? Yeah, we'll take your comments and questions in the Fans Forum segment. Just type them in in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the Fans Forum at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. Be sure also to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder, go to my website. It's written. Did I say go to my website? If you like sports, <laughs> you will like what I produce every day. It's there first thing in the morning, whether it's the best 15 minutes in sports, whether it's Axel's headlines, my one man's opinion column. I wrote one on the Chargers and the Rams that you need to see right now because it's posted. But check my website each and every day. And a reminder, share. 
Let all your friends, your followers, regardless of what social media you use, let them know about what we're doing with our podcast, what we're doing with our website, and also, because John needs all the friends he can get, we need a <laughs> thumbs up yeah, uh, from all of us watching our podcast. Go on, next question. All right. Well, we were just talking about the quarterbacks. Now they're going to be going deeper into the draft, and and you share with me this big board, and there's a lot of really impressive names here. Okay, let's let's talk about the quarterbacks that will be at the top of the draft. And like I said, it, it appears there at least five that are going to go in the first round. But the NFL, as I just reported, there could be as many as 16 quarterbacks who get taken, at least come to an NFL camp. There's no doubt that Bryce Young is great. Those who doubt Bryce Young are looking at two different things. The size, 5'10", says he weighs 190, (laughs) bulked up to 200 for the combine in Indy, but is now down below that. I'm not going to say he's fragile because he's never had a major injury. But in the NFL, as a quarterback, John, you are going to get hit. And if you're 5'10", 190, and these free train linebackers are coming to get you, uh, you're going to get busted up. You know, he he succeeded to a tag of Viola who got dinged up at Alabama, fractured hip and all that, and is now had concussion problems. And he's bigger than Tua. But he's he's slight of frame. Doesn't mean you can't put him in an NFL camp and a full year of weight training and nutrition and bulk him to 200 and make him stronger. But number one pick in the draft is going to play, so he's going to get exposed. So that there's a fragility question, I think, there. C.J. Stroud, I, I think, did a lot of great things in two years at Ohio State. Finished up, I think, this year with 41 touchdowns and maybe five interceptions, though he tailed at the end of the year when he lost his run game. There's a rumbling out there that he did not do well on the cognitive tests that the NFL provides each club to give players. And that means sight recognition, processing information, playbooks, audibles, things like that. I find that hard to believe. Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, came just answered back early Monday morning and said, there's nothing wrong with this kid. This kid knows football. He's a student of the game. Let him grow. So I'm not quite sure what's fact or fiction, but C.J. Stroud will be number two. He's a bigger version of, of Young. The wild card in the whole thing is the kid that the University of Florida, they call AR-15, Anthony Richardson. <laughs> great name. Uh, yeah, great name. <laughs> Wrong time of, the, of society to have that. Right. But uh, he is a freak of an athlete. He is one of the really dynamic athletes run and throw. A lot of people equate him uh, with Cam Newton when Cam was at Auburn. Oh, yeah. and Cam was just prolific. Uh, the only concern is he's only done it for one year. And he only completed 53% of his passes. Now, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's a phenomenal athlete, run and throw, pocket presence, intellect. But if you're great, why would you complete only 53% hmm. when everybody else who's great in the country is completing 65%? So there, there's there's some issues there about AR-15 and whether or not he's ready or whether or not it might be a project. But like I say... He's a freak of an athlete. Uh, The fourth one is a kid out of Kentucky, and he's starting to get more play because his private workouts have gone really well. I'm talking about Will Levis. Uh, He was a transfer. He sat one year, started last year, put phenomenal numbers up. What they like about him is what Bryce Young does not have, bulk. Bulk. 
Mm. He's 6'3", 6'4", big frame, 215, 220, strong arm, can move the pocket. Now, he's not going to run very much, but the guy is dynamic, and he's a real leader. He has really climbed the board. At one point, everybody thought, well, maybe he'll be the 15th pick in the first round. They're thinking now he might go inside the top seven. Mm. So he has really elevated himself through his workouts. Uh, Herndon Hooker, Tennessee, dynamic athlete, bad knee injury at the end of the season. It was kind of a one-man show. Put up some really gaudy run and pass yardage stats the first half of the season before he got hurt. His name is is out there as being somewhere between 7 and 15 in the first round. I think if you're drafting Hooker, you're drafting him to rehab him and then maybe look at the back end of next season before he actually gets on the field. He won't be won't be a starter right at the get-go. Uh, I'll talk about a couple other really interesting names. Uh, this, this name has not gotten very much push at all. He had a great career at Fresno State as a transfer, bounced back from the University of Washington, Jake Hayner. And he really lit it up in the Mountain West Conference. Mm. But he's only six foot. Now, he's a tough six-footer. He sticks his nose in there. He's not afraid to stay in the pocket. He can move the pocket. He can throw on the run. And this week, this past weekend, NFL people just started dropping hints that there's a little bit of Drew Brees in this guy. Mm. And when I hear that, that means intellect, Mm -hmm. toughness, strength of arm, and the fact that he's pretty mobile. So Jake Hayner might be the kind of guy that you would have thought, well, somebody will pick him in the fourth or fifth round. He might be like a Brock Purdy that look at all the intangibles this guy does. And look what he did for Fresno playing in some big time games mm-hmm. against big time teams. So keep an eye on him. That That's really fascinating. And the one I don't understand, there is no push at all for Max Dugan uh, from SMU. Really? But the, I think the reality is there's a size factor there. We're not talking about big-time quickness, not, not like Bryce Young mm-hmm. or, or uh, AR-15. Uh, and, you know, is he a systems quarterback that excelled uh, at TCU? And so he'll get drafted, but it's going to be way down the board, which is kind of odd for somebody who's a winner and somebody who did such a phenomenal, phenomenal job. So those are the, the hot names. But like I said, there could be as many 16 quarterbacks taken uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting names there. I remember watching some of the San Diego State Fresno State games, and yeah, Hayner. I, and I really didn't think about him in the draft, but yeah, he's legit. He could be an up and comer. But you know, you're talking about Bryce Young and that five ten, one ninety. But he was playing in the SEC. I mean, and granted, it's college, but those are some big boys in that league. There, yeah. But he was also playing behind a massive offensive line that gets all their guys drafted with great running backs and great wide receivers. In the NFL, if you're at the top of the draft board, John, you're going to play for a bad team. You're going to get your brains beat out. Mm. And if you're 5'10", 194, you're going to take some wicked hits. And I don't care if you can scramble and move the pocket, you're still going to get exposed and you're going to get hit. But he's so good. And like I say, you draft him, Carolina will have to play him because they have nobody else. Um, they're just going to have to protect him. But, you know, you give him a year in and weight training program of the NFL. They're fanatical about being fanatical. And you put him in a nutrition program. They will bulk him as long as they can get him to the second year without getting him busted up. That becomes a big issue. Well, who's your favorite all-time small quarterback? Is it Doug Flutie? 
Nah, Doug, Doug was a one-trick pony. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nothing negative about Doug. He was just a great little quarterback, but he was little. And after a while, I, re- I remember when I was the voice of the Seahawks, I asked Mike Holmgren about him, and, and Mike told me, hey, you compile video on guys, you figure guys out. And when you compile video on Flutie, you figured out what he couldn't handle, and you would devise blitz packages to force him into things that he can't handle. Mm-hmm. And eventually it all caught up to him. And yeah, he'd have a, he'd have a really flashy game, but uh, good guy. He he squeezed every ounce of football <laughs> out of his life that he could. And a great, great guy. So uh, there have been a few. I mean, Russell Wilson, when he came out um, of, where was it? Wisconsin? Wisconsin. He had started yeah. at uh, North Carolina State went to Wisconsin for one year, the rap on him was too small. He's, he's 5'10". Mm-hmm. Now, he can fly. Oh, yeah. He can motor. And he's got the guts of a burglar because he'll stand in there and make <laughs> plays. Uh, and he got physically bigger and bigger. And he really did, only had, I think, one major injury in the NFL. And what you do is, as you go through with this quarterback, you'll start to devise your offense to better fit his strengths to protect him, to keep him in certain situations where he can excel, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's move the pocket or, you know, you, there's just a lot of things they did with Russell Wilson during the really good years in Seattle that helped him. So uh, of of the undersized quarterbacks, he's probably the most quality in modern day NFL football. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of guys. I mean, you know, Drew Brees wasn't that big of a guy either, but I remember the rap always was, can they see over the top of their offensive lineman? So I'm curious to see how Bryce Young does. And maybe he goes number one, it could uh, change the fortunes of the Panthers. Yeah. I I think the draft is going to be fascinating because of, of Carolina at one, but obviously as we've talked about what Houston does at number two. Okay. Next topic. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit now about the draft strength. I mean, we've got a lot of action with quarterbacks, but there's a lot of other good players. This is John, you're right. This is a really deep draft. Uh, They are projecting as many as 15 defensive players will go in the first round of this draft. So keep that in mind. There will be a run on defensive pass rush guys. There are really good defensive tackles. Now, most of those guys are going to go from probably 10 back to 30. Uh, There is a host of wide receivers to pay attention to. Uh, A lot of these guys are going to be second-round draft picks. These guys can fly. There are some good guys that are route runners. There are some guys that are pure terrorists with speed. Those guys are going to go the back end of the first round, and then there'll be a run on those guys into the second round. Uh, There are a couple really good defensive backs that are going to go in the first round. Uh, It's it's, To me, it's a really deep draft. Uh, There's hardly any running backs at all. Outside of Bijan Robinson from Texas, who some project is going as high as 10, others think might go in the 15 to 20 bracket. Uh, there are virtually no running backs because the game has changed. There are a mass of offensive tackles, mm. and I think you'll see a run on the offensive tackle starting very early in the first round. The best offensive tackle is a kid out of Northwestern, Peter Skaronsky. But there's probably five offensive tackles, then maybe an offensive guard, that are going to go in the first round of the draft. Um, The best DB in the draft is Joey Porter, the son of the Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker. He's going to wind up going probably top 10 pick. Uh, And and like I say, once, once one of these offensive tackles drops... You're going to see a whole bunch of teams dive in and go get the rest. And then 
once one or two of these top pass rushers, edge rushers go off the board, teams are going to scramble to try to pick up the scraps of what's left. So I think defense is really going to dominate. So you got defense, uh, then you got offensive tackles, um, then obviously quarterbacks. And like I say, second round, I think you'll see a load of wide receivers come off the board. Well, you know, you, we've been talking all along how the NFL doesn't really value running backs. And now suddenly there's only really one big time running back. So maybe they figure they're going to find guys, sixth round, seventh round, or free agents that can maybe they can plug in, have them play for two or three years. They'll probably get hurt and just recycle, right? Well, it works that way. Uh, th- there'll be some, some running back that'll show up and you say, where did he come from? I mean, I think the greatest modern-day find of running backs is Austin Eckler. He was undrafted. Mesa College, Colorado, Division II, undrafted. Look what he became. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can find those guys, and you'll find some of these guys that are really good players and are really dedicated and are fast and are quick and are tough. And then you you need to have a little bit of luck. You know, I mean, Eckler has been very lucky because he's hardly had any injuries at all over the course of his career, and he's just—he's been a phenomenal performer. But those guys are those guys are kind of few and far between. But they're out there; you can find them, and that's why you scout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's it is fun. I mean, when Beathard would find those guys that he could plug in, uh, you got to root for those underdogs to you know the the what do they say the diamond in the rough, right? You mm-hmm. can find them. Um, so yeah, let's see what happens in this draft, and um, you know we'll, we'll maybe maybe some of our Southern California teams might get lucky with some of those type of guys. Well, I'll, I'll be intrigued to see where Dorian Thompson Robinson goes, UCLA quarterback. Oh yeah, had a really nice career. Uh, has gotten a number of visits, and I think he's at the back end of the draft, but I think he's suddenly one of these guys from the group of 16 that probably gets drafted. Uh, in terms of Southern Cal, uh, there's no doubt that Jordan Addison's going to go early. He's the USC wide receiver. Did not have the year at Southern Cal that he had the year prior when he caught 100-plus passes for Pitt, but he's a route runner with an extra gear once he catches the ball. I don't know if he'll be the first wide receiver pick, but he might. Um, rumblings are that people like Buffalo might be looking at him in the middle of the first round, but he'll be the first one to go. So the, there won't be any San Diego State kids taken. The, the program has dipped a little bit. Uh, historically, they've always put guys into the NFL, notably linemen more than anything else. But I don't think there'll be any Aztecs that will get chosen at all. No, okay. I mean, in, in, not at all, or just the first round. You mean you mean not at all? Not at all. Oh, wow. So this is definitely a down year for the Aztecs. Okay. We got questions on Fans Forum, and this is a reminder. Uh, we sure invite you to join us. Uh, you, you can type in your questions on YouTube and on Facebook. We answer them live. Also, a reminder, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is all written. If you love sports, you will love the plethora of information that I provide every day on my website. Even John got hooked on it. It's a plethora. <laughs> All right, questions, John. Pick one for okay, us. Okay, this is a good one here, you know, and this is from SG Sports Talk Channel. He says, the San Jose State versus Fresno State football game back on November 25th of 2021 was the most devastating game that I, I saw where we got demolished by a score of 40 to 9, and Jake Hayner threw for over 343 yards. Jake, Jake was a real gamer is a gamer. And I think that's why he's being discussed right now is maybe he's got some of the Drew Brees uh, genes in him. 
I mean, he was a kid that didn't stay at the University of Washington when they were going through coaching changes, landed at Fresno State, and what a job he's done. And he got pounded. I mean, he got hurt. He stayed in the lineup. He threw for a ton of yards. And they've, they've really had a, a, a great history of quarterbacks at Fresno State. I mean, oh, yeah. this goes way back. Uh, Kevin Sweeney was the first great quarterback at Fresno State. He was the son of the coach, Jim Sweeney. And he wound up in the NFL. And that, that advanced through David Carr. Mm-hmm. Then it became Derek Carr. Trent Dilfer was mm-hmm. in that mix there. And now Jay Kaner. And Hayner's blown by all them in terms of records at Fresno State. Now, he's undersized. I look at him, and I, I'll tell you what, I, and I, I tell agents and I tell players, you ought to go to the Canadian League. Not everybody can play in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. You go to the CFL, your style of game. Now, it, it, it takes time to acclimate yourself to the 110-yard field and 12 on the field and three downs. It's a really different game. But we've had Americans that have gone up there and done very well. We've also had some gone up there that didn't flourish at all. I would have thought the CFL was ready-made for Akili Smith. You oh, remember yeah, him? I remember him. Oregon, right? Yeah, Oregon yeah. Ducks from here. I thought he would have done well up there, and he didn't do well up there. But there, there's an there's an academic adaption time for guys to go play in Canada because the game is so fast, so quick, so different with 12 on the field on defense. It's just, it's really a different thing. But a Jake Hayner type kid might wind up going up there and succeeding because he's kind of like Doug Flutie. And where did Doug Flutie come from? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he CFL. was in the CFL. That's right. Where did Warren Moon come from? That's who I think about is Warren Moon. And Joe Theismann. Right. So now that's a long time ago, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think... Younger guys who might be two inches too short, if they can throw it and if their intellects, they could succeed up there. Now, they won't make $5 million a year in Canada, mm-hmm. but you can go up there, live up there, stay up there, and become an icon up there because a whole bunch of American quarterbacks have. But then you have to live in Edmonton. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? true. And you're way the heck up up there in, in Canada. Uh, but yeah, I remember, just remember Warren Moon, and they were talking about him a lot. When did he, he went to Washington, I University think. University of Washington. Well, I, he might have been one of the first black coaches in what was the Pac-8 at that point. Yeah. I mean, what a great player. And they were always talking about how he could come to the NFL. And boy, he went to Houston. He was terrific. So you say it t- requires a special intellect to play in the CFL. I mean, Warren Moon was definitely that. And they devised an offense when he came to the Houston Oilers. They, I mean, they threw the ball a lot, uh, and they they ran. It was it was actually it was the beginning of the short period of the run and shoot in the NFL. And Warren Moon was a great quarterback. He wasn't statistically a dominant quarterback at the University of Washington, but I think either he or Sonny Sixkiller might have been the first minority quarterback in the Pac-8. Now, Sonny that, Sixkiller? That goes back a thousand. That's a guy's years. name, really? Yes, uh, <laughs> come from Indian descent. Okay, wow. Uh, and he he never quite made it here, but he did go to Canada and play. But you know, Warren Moon is just uh, just a legend. But he had to be in a devised offense, and they devised the run and shoot with him. And holy cow, they were good up and down the field till coaches figured it out. But like like Mike Holmgren said, you give me time. I'll come up with another video. I'll find a way to slow you down, John. Yeah, who who was that coach that was always well-known for the run and shoot? He was like Mouse a, Davis. That's it. Yeah, I was, he was I the architect. Was, I knew it was like some kind of a rodent was involved with that. But uh, yeah, that was a fun run. And then that would became, remember, in vogue, this run and shoot. And remember, it was a quarterback that got drafted out of the University of Houston. 
And what was his name? And, and they thought he was the ideal run-and-shoot guy, out. and it didn't work out. But the problem with the run-and-shoot is five wides. You don't have anybody to protect. If they start blitzing, your quarterback's going to his brains beat out. Mm. And you got to get the ball out of there quick before they get you. You get them. Yeah. That's the, but all offenses evolve. And from the run-and-shoot, we went to the current air raid drill. Mike Leach has made that oh, yeah. so spectacular. Yeah. Well, he came as an assistant coach from a guy by the name of Hal Mummy. And Mummy developed this air raid attack with, in essence, it's five wides, no backs or one back sprint draw. He devised it at a small college in Iowa, and Leach was there with him. And then they went to Valdosta State, which had a great success for a short period of time. And then Mummy took it to the University of Kentucky, and they had a quarterback by the name of Tim Couch, who mm. excelled and became the number one draft pick of the Cleveland Browns. But he got pounded and he got hurt and it just it kind of wiped his career out. So you can have all the gimmicks and gadgets, bells, gongs and whistles you want. <laughs> but there'll be some defensive coordinator out there that'll figure a way to get your quarterback yeah. after a while. And that's the way the NFL works. Let's move on. Next question. OK, this is one's from uh, Joey Yarbrough. Um, and he's asking the question, do the Raiders trade back or trade up? Well, I don't understand the rumblings out of Las Vegas that they would even consider a quarterback, but they brought all those quarterbacks in, the top five that I mentioned for visits. Why would you do that when you just committed $67 million to Jimmy Garoppolo? What they need to do is take those draft picks, starting with number seven, and load defense because the John Gruden defensive drafts were abysmal. They had no defensive players. There's hardly any of the Gruden draft picks left. What a fiasco that thing was. Um, in terms of the Raiders, what they should do at seven, and the rumor is, because I, I, they shouldn't take a quarterback, rumor is they're going to take Christian Gonzalez, really good cover corner Oregon. That would help them a great deal. Mm -hmm. If not, if they had the chance to get Jalen Carter, the massive tree trunk of a defensive tackle from Georgia, they should do that because mm. they need help to go with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, the edge rushers. But Seattle might take him at five, which means the Raiders wouldn't have access to him at seven. But, you know, if you can draft the, the best cornerback at, at seven, go into the second round, there'll be a group of defensive tackles that will be there. Go after one of them. I think the Raiders just have to stockpile defense. And if they can find offensive linemen, they're still, I, th I still think they're shy pass protectors or road grader run blockers in the offensive front, too. Yeah, I remember Carter in the national championship game. He's a heck of a player. So do you think, like, are, are there certain universities like Georgia or Alabama are going to have multiple number ones? Yeah, probably. Last year, I think there were five Georgia defensive players taken off the board. Wow. Uh, and that, that happens historically. I think Alabama's a little bit down in terms of draft prospects. Alabama historically has always had their running backs, their wide receivers, and their offensive linemen who get drafted. So fascinating to see where all the power is. On we go. Next question. Okay, let's go uh, check out some of these YouTube comments. And this is a Charger question from Michael Dabbler. It says, hey, hello, guys. Your show is fabulous like always. What do you think the chances that the Chargers trade players away on draft night, like maybe Austin Eckler to a playoff contender? Thanks. I don't think anybody uh, wants to take on a $6 million contract for a running back. And I don't think the Chargers should trade that guy because he's an integral part that helps make Justin Herbert so dynamic because he can run it and he can catch it. Like I said, he outplayed his contract at 7,700 all-purpose yards in, what, five and a half years. Uh, I, w I would not trade him. 
what the Chargers do, uh, they're in a position, I think, John, to get a really good player sitting there. I think they're 21 in the draft. Historically, they've never been brazen like trading up. And they have not really, they're very conservative. They've never traded back. They're going to get a good player where they are in the 20s. The the tight end from the University of Utah is probably the player that's a perfect fit for them. Dalton Kincaid caught 70 balls at Utah. And what do they need offensively? They do need team speed at wide receiver. They could go wide receiver and take one of those speed guys, or they can take a really proven tight end. Now he's not a he's not a hefty blocker, but you got a pretty good offensive line that you have now rebuilt. What you got? You got a tight end that goes down the seam. Uh, if I compare him to George Kittle, would you be pleased in yeah, terms of for productivity? Sure. Yeah. So I I think that that's something to keep an eye on if they can get Kincaid. And by the way, who's a new offensive coordinator? Kellen Moore. Where did oh, yeah. he come from? Dallas Cowboys. Mm. Who did they throw to? Tight end Dalton Schultz. Yeah. So I think Kincaid is a perfect fit. Uh, if Kincaid gets grabbed before the Charger pick comes up, they need help defensive in front. They have not stopped the run for two to three years running. There's a really good defensive tackle from the University of Pittsburgh. I think they probably look look really seriously at him. Um, with that first-round pick. They do need help in the secondary, but there might be a run on the top cornerbacks uh, in in the, before they ever get to pick 21. So I, I would think tight end or defensive tackle. But they're end of the day, they're going to get a really good running back. And if something weird happens, if Bijan Robinson from Texas, the top running back, 1,800 yards rushing this past year, and catches the ball, if he were to tumble down... I'd have to look really seriously at, at, at him, even though you already got a, a star running back in Austin Eckler, but you get Robinson, he changes the dynamics because he is big and powerful and runs for tough yards, and you could keep Eckler for one final year of his contract, and then maybe he becomes a free agent. So that's that's what I'm looking for the Chargers to do. I, I think the tight end would just be a great addition to all the chess pieces that Justin Herbert has to play with on Sundays. Well, didn't they already have that in Hunter Henry? And why didn't that work out with the Chargers? He, he got nicked up a lot, mm-hmm. and then they, they were not going to pay him 8 to $9 million to stay, and they let him go. He's yeah. playing, what, for, is it New England? Or He's where? playing in New England. Yeah. And he was productive, mm-hmm. but not he's not catching George Kittle's 75 pass per season mm-hmm. pro- productivity. He was a good player, but he he did. He got dinged up a lot. So he was out of the lineup an awful lot, but... I like Kincaid. I, I, see a, I see a lot of productivity in that kid from Utah. Yeah, right on. I mean, this is going to be just such a great draft. I'm really looking forward to this. Any more? Yeah. We could, here's kind of a fun one. It's kind of a different angle here from Matt Cradiville. He says, is it true the Raiders owner Mark Davis is having a cow over the Las Vegas Athletics? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, that's something for some columnist to throw up on a wall and see if it sticks. Uh, Las Vegas has exploded in terms of a relocation site. Uh, you know, the NHL, Las uh, Vegas Golden Knights were the first one into the market. And they've sold out every game ever since. And they got one of the best teams out west in the National Hockey League. And then the Raiders came. They have not done well on the field, but football's a big thing in Las Vegas. So they 
They sell that stadium out, and maybe one of these days they'll get better than they've been, and they've been bad for a long period of time. So baseball comes in. Uh, I, I guess the burning question, and, and this is, is such, we'll talk about this probably on our Thursday podcast, the, the sorry state of the athletics franchise and what what MLB and what the union allowed John Fisher, the owner, to do to run the franchise into the ground and the inability to get anything built in Oakland because Oakland's a near bankrupt, destitute city. You know, what's going to Vegas? Are you excited that you might get baseball there next year? Because they're talking about leaving Oakland early and going to play in the AAA stadium. Mm-hmm. But to play outdoor baseball in the summer in Vegas, whoa! Yeah, yeah, no that's way. like playing in Phoenix in the summer. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, broadcast no outdoors in Phoenix Phoenix Giants baseball in the Coast League in the summer, and that was Ooh. brutal. So, you know, and the other thing is, yeah, you might get excited to get into Major League Baseball team, but uh, last I checked as of breakfast this morning, they're 4-18. and 18. Worst record in 123 years of athletics baseball. So I don't know what they're getting. And I think it's it's sad that it's left Oakland because there was a legacy as weird and crazy as Charlie Finley was. You know, Raleigh and Rudy mm. and Reggie and mm. this, you know, swinging A's. They, Gene Tennis. They did get four yeah. rings mm-hmm. along the way. Uh, but that's that's gone by the board. So I don't know what Vegas thinks it's getting. And I, I really do think because it's become a destination point and they don't seem to have any worry. They're oversaturating the market. I think the NBA is going to go there. I think I think when the NBA gets ready to expand uh, they're I think they're going to look real serious at going back into Seattle because mm-hmm. that city should have never lost the Supersonics. That was an arena stadium mess and an ownership mess. But I think to go back into Seattle, which is a great sports town, and I probably wind up going into Vegas just because of the marketplace. And it, it becomes an event. It becomes an in thing. And all you need to do is punch up your TV and watch Golden State Sacramento and the dynamics of what the first round of the playoffs have been and get excited about it if you're a Vegas fan. Well, speaking of Vegas, I mean, did you, you saw the news story about the NFL players that got suspended for gambling. Yes. So, I mean, it, it's, it seems like the NFL has all these mixed messages where they've got sponsors like DraftKings and 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 yet they... They, for the longest time, Vegas was voodoo. They didn't go there because they didn't want to have that element. But now everyone's on board with Vegas. So it's like a, I don't know, like it's schizophrenic. Two words. Hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Second word, greed. Ah. Somewhere in between, there's the <laughs> rationale as to why they're doing what they're doing. But that's another topic okay. for another day on Thursday. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our bonus coverage or NFL draft preview. Draft starts on Thursday. We're going to have our regular podcast Thursday afternoon going into the first round. We have agreed to come back and we're going to do a bonus podcast on Friday. We will recap the first round of the National Football League draft on Friday. So we invite you to share, tell your friends, text, email, message them, let them know about what we're doing with our podcasts on Monday, the bonus package, our regular podcast Thursday, or NFL bonus recap package on Friday. John, have yourself a great day. We're waiting for the NFL draft to begin because it's huge in America. It's huge. It's a great event. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Hope you enjoy our podcast. We'll chat with you again come Thursday. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. 